0: Let's link up with Krista on The Fix. She's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength.
1: What is up, y'all? It's Coach Krista, and I'm back on another episode of The Fix, episode 10. That's kind of like a big deal now that we hit double digits. feel like we're out of that freshman frontier and moving into a more sophomore graduated state, if you will. And I am thrilled to have today's guest on for this special show for me. She's a fellow Westfield girl, Jersey girl, just like me and has recently added a new title to a very impressive career and long resume of lots of roles in the media. And that's Miss Megan Murphy. If you guys have been checking out my Instagram and tuning in over the last couple of weeks, I've actually plugged her book a few times and I'm so excited for everybody in my audience to get a chance to check her out and really hear more about the story in her own words throughout the rest of this episode. But her new book, Your Fully Charged Life, really embodies the idea of the power of positive psychology and the power of positive thinking. And I can't wait for your feedback and and insight on what you get out of hearing Megan's experience and how she's actually been able to take a lot of the work that she's done and both professionally and personally as a mom, as an editor, and then put it into everyday practice and be able to be prepared for all the things, the good and the bad, that life throws at you. Because the only thing that's guaranteed in this world is that things are gonna change. And if there's anyone that knows how to adapt to that with energy and with light and positivity, it's this woman. So who is Megan Murphy and why the heck should we care about what you're up to?
0: Yay, okay.
1: (laughs) Well, um, I'm all the things. I'm the
0: editor-in-chief of Woman's Day Magazine. I am the author of Your Fully Charged Life. I am the co-host of the Off the Ground podcast. I am a life hacker, as seen on Live with Kelly and Ryan in The Today Show, and I'm a most important job is mom to three kids: Charlie ten, who's a girl; James eight, and Brooke seven. And we have a labradoodle who I call my fur baby, and my husband didn't oh. know what that meant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can't forget about the dog. I recently got He's a. He's like, baby what is a fur cute.
0: baby? I'm like, uh, it's, it's, a it's a very important. It's a very important role in the family.
1: It's like, I don't think
0: people will understand that. I'm like, I don't think anyone thinks I gave birth to a ball of park.
1: It's a dog. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Men just don't get it, right? do yeah. They don't. yeah. And second question, and because we're going to get into all of that, and I am um, i don't think I shared this with you in any of our exchange, but I actually went to school for journalism. So yeah. Yeah. I'm super interested in your career path and kind of how you got to where you are today. And that'll definitely lead us into your experience through the book. Um, so second question before we break that all down. What is your go-to coffee order? Because as my Fix fans know, I'm a big coffee drinker. A couple weeks ago, I did a cleanse where I cut it out for a week. And let's just say it was pretty tough. But I was proud of myself for accomplishing it. So what do you like to sip on in the morning?
0: This is super weird, but I'm recovering from COVID. And I used to be like, I mean, I love to wake up and drink a big, giant, black cup of coffee. Since I've been in recovery from COVID, I can't stand coffee. It is the weirdest thing. It just makes me feel like I'm going to explode. So I'm currently on tea, which I've never been a tea drinker in my entire life. I don't even understand tea drinkers, but (laughs) I am currently a tea drinker. um, And I've just like it's like a turmeric, spicy ginger. I think it's, I forget the name of the company,
1: but it's that's been really soothing. Turmeric yeah. is very good for you. Great for inflammation in the body. Yeah. So, yeah. highly would recommend that to anybody who's dealing with any sort of forget like a virus or any kind of sickness or anything. It's it's great for metabolism. Um, it's it's really great for soothing effects for sleep. Um, if you've ever had any, if you do like the flavor of that, uh, there's a reishi or reishi. People pronounce it differently. There's this really good reishi tea from Whole Foods. I'll send you a picture of it. Ooh, yeah, it's okay. delicious. So that yeah. so you'll I'm, have to start ex- exploring all like your a tea treader. options.
0: Like a <laughs> I'm a, a coffee pert. Like, I mean, I'm that per. I like wake up at four forty five in the morning and I'm like To you enjoy your coffee like in yes. your silence without your kids. Yeah.
1: I was gonna ask, is that being a mom? We'll get right into the mom piece. For a lot of moms, um, because I've had a few of them do this cleanse with me. And we all kind of agree that I'm not a mom yet, but I still feel this way because it's kind of like that serene time before the rest of the world wakes up sort of deal. And when it's in your own house, it's like you have that private moment with your coffee cup before all the chaos, right? Is it a ritual for you? How does that help you kind of set the tone for your day?
0: Well, and here's the thing is like my husband and I, since now we both work from home and are home all Mm the time, we've like, Mm -hmm. we, we got a coffee pot, like not even like the individual pods. Like we make a pot of coffee. And I feel like, like we needed the coffee pot. Like it's like the water cooler, <laughs> the water cooler. and like, what do <laughs> you got any zoom calls? What's going on? And like we have our big cups of coffee and I love my coffee mug that currently has tea in it. See so you on the happy bus. So um, cute. And look at that lightning oh. bolt fits the theme. Always, always. Um, but yeah, yeah like we're, i you know like coffee to me it's i mean i go to the gym with coffee i'm with the same the way gym. that's my pre-workout
1: i don't I mean, I go, I like, you
0: know i would go i would like you know i would go to spin back in the day when flywheel existed <laughs> with like a coffee in at 5 45 a.m in the bike instead of a water like i love coffee you're my so god i hope
1: coffee i comes hope it back. comes back right oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna really like i'm gonna and I'm going to manifest that for you. Because I, I hope so. Really it's,
0: it's like a sadness. But right now, if I drink
1: it, I, want, I feel like I'm going to explode. Yeah, that's not good. You yeah, <laughs> don't want that. That's for sure. No. A little caffeine overload. Well, hopefully you can just kind of like ease back into it. I hope um, Okay. So let's talk about you and your journey up into this book. And we can really kind of take this in any direction in terms of whether you want to go chronologically or kind of bring me up to speed on where you are with your book and then work back backwards from there. Um, whatever you feel makes the most sense. But you know, before we talk about your journey and making the decision to write a book itself, I'd love to know what kind of feelings are you feeling right now in anticipation of the release?
0: I mean, I'm excited. I I am like kind of bursting with excitement. I mean, i put a lot of content out into the world. I've been making magazines for 20 years. You know, I release an issue of Woman's Day every magazine every month. This feels different. This feels really personal. It feels um, like this was my mission. This is my passion and purpose all rolled into one big book that I'm about to give birth to. Um, I felt very called to do this. I feel like this is why I'm here, is to share positive energy um, and a toolkit for achieving um, happiness and and having a more positive outlook. Like I absolutely know that's why I'm here. Um, I kind of was able to transform myself and I know that I can help other people do the same. I think that's sort of what I've enjoyed about being a service journalist all these years is just to give people good information that can impact their lives for the better.
1: And let's talk about being a service journalist. Obviously, like I mentioned, have a background in journalism myself. Um, I explored it professionally for a pretty brief period through college. I was actually a business journalism major, so never dabbled into um, probably the lighter and more fun world of some of the articles that you've Put together and written yourself over the years. Um, I interned at Bloomberg and covered mostly equities, um, so a little more of the dry stuff. Yeah, but probably interesting, the opposite of what I do. Yes, I did have one period. I actually worked for it. You'll know this um, publication because it is right in New Jersey, in Somerset. Um, I worked for um, a Gannett publication. And it was part of USA Today. And I had this one editor in particular, and I think this is the interesting part about being in a newsroom and just being in journalism where there's so many different topics that are covered all at once, regardless of the niche of that publication. Um, He was like, a whiz at trivia. And I mean, any fact you could possibly think of music, food, New Jersey history, you name it, he knew it. And every day he would embarrass me and ask me a trivia question. And usually I could never answer them. And he knew I wasn't going to get them right. Uh, but the whole point of going through that experience, and he told me this at the end of my internship, he just wanted me to learn as much as possible. Um, and that's something that I've always appreciated about the field because you really never knew what kind of story was going to come your way. Um, And I'm curious for you how that has evolved over time to open your eyes or give you the realization of like, hey, it's time that I write a book. Like what in your professional career led you to where you are now for I don't know how many years it took you to write the book itself. But that day that if you remember distinctively in your mind, I'm going to write a book like you made that choice. What was kind of going through your head in looking at your life that led you to that place?
0: I've been very lucky that my career trajectory has kind of mirrored my life trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I started in teen publications. I worked at YM Magazine, which is- I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, I was one of the founding editors of Teen People Magazine. Wow, that's I, so cool. Um, was an on-air correspondent for MTV. I have an acting background. And then I went on to Cosmo. I was at Cosmopolitan when I was kind of single in the city and, and doing all of that. And then I, so I was at Cosmo and from Cosmo, I went to Self Magazine, which I always say was the nine of my most self-formative years. It's when I got engaged and married and had three kids. Um, it really kind of came into my own as a person and self-actualized. That's where I ran the self-challenge as the deputy and the fitness director. And then from there, I went to Good Housekeeping. And at Good Housekeeping, it was when I moved to the Burbs and got so a house. So there
1: you go. That is so fascinating. Wow. You know? Did and you then- ever think that that would that your career was going to pan out that way because I mean you literally like graduated as you aged through the evolution of your audience and not to say that you could totally relate to a teenager when you first started but you weren't as removed as you would be from that I, time. I was
0: eighteen I was yeah. eighteen when I start when I was at when I was at YM I I was eighteen years old I wrote the real girl love advice column I you know gave a bot I had a body image positivity column like I was the demographic. I've always been the demographic of the, the magazine I was editing, which has made me a guinea pig for the information. Sure. It's helped me to report on and research things I actually cared about. Of course. I think that's why I've been successful is because I've always done things I cared about and pursued things with passion and purpose. And I think that if you have passion and you have purpose and in innate curiosity because you care, you're going to do something good.
1: I think a lot of people struggle to find what that passion and purpose is. So for you, you mentioned real quick there that you have an acting background. How did you transition that probably what was a passion initially into a medium like journalism. Um, What happened in your life? What kind of thoughts did you have early on in your college days, high school career, through that experience to where you are today that kind of solidified for you, okay, yes, this is my passion and yes, I am pursuing it because I personally think at the age that I'm at right now that is 25, 26 years old is the time that you're like, wait, am I doing what I really wanna be doing? And, And kind of assessing that.
0: Sure. Well, I think a lot of um, a lot of my career trajectory was born from adversity. Um, in my teen years, I had an eating disorder. My best friend and I were both anorexics. Um, I was hospitalized, and she died um, en route to the hospital to be hospitalized with me. She jumped out of the car and was so frail that she died. Um, oh it was pretty harrowing experience as a 60-year-old. Um, but I always say that there are gifts in all adversity if you're willing to unwrap them. And from that I wrote a, an essay about the experience um, and that essay won me a $10,000 scholar, college scholarship. And it also got me the attention of NBC. And I was on a special and celebrated by Trisha Yearwood and Don Johnson and um, Bob Costas. And that led to my internship and ultimately contributing editor her gig at YM.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so like that adversity and those hard times really paved the way for my career and I mean, your openness too oh, so of course that it's- in there like do you- and that's when i say um vulnerability i mean <laughs> i love that about you know i i think i make brene brown proud on a regular basis i,
1: I would 100 percent think so you no know,
0: i'm a steady in vulnerability i am never like and i sort of say sometimes i just have no vanity and i guess that's part of it but like i don't care what i look like i don't care what people think because i know that anytime i'm open and anytime i'm I share that pain, I get gifts back, and then I get the resources to move to the next place. Um, And I think it's sort of um, really any, and from adversity and from vulnerability, I have been able to always move onward with grace and excitement.
1: Do you think at the time when you were 16 and you you went through your recovery process and ultimately did make the decision to write that essay, Did you have any idea that it would lead you to the places and experiences that you've had since?
0: No idea. No idea. Um, And, you know, thank God I was sort of like an impetuous teenager and like didn't give it that much thought. Right. (laughs) That's Um, a great point. You know, it was just sort of like, you know, I was an angsty teenager and like that's what I was going through. And I was just, you know, I wrote the essay. Mm -hmm. I sent it along. Yeah. And I'm glad I, I would yeah, you know, when people always say, Would you look back and tell that sixteen year old to do anything differently? Absolutely not. No. You know, everything happened exactly the way it was supposed
1: to. Um And did you always have a knack for writing or was that essay because it was so personal to you? And to tie back to your point earlier about pursuing things that um, you truly care about, do you think that kind of strengthened your ability to communicate that message in the experience or do you think you're somebody who has just always had that innate ability within them? And I ask that question because in my personal experience, speaking for myself and so many other people that I studied with, worked with, went to school with, it always kind of seems for the journalists out there that it's something we figured out early on in, in mm-hmm. our school careers that we were good at. I have a gift for writing,
0: like, you know, humble brag. It's something I'm good at. I can hear language. I can make words dance. Like that's my gift. Um, I've always had that gift. Um, it does not apply to math.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm With you there. <laughs> you
0: no. Know, and I can have the most open-minded attitude about math and numbers still you know, like make my eyes cross. Like, it's just but words like, I love words, words are so juicy to me. And I get excited about language. And like, when I can get the sentence right,
1: like, it's just a delight. And I, I like I'm a geek about it. Like, Yeah, there's no, I, especially about editing. Do you think do you think transitioning from having written so many columns and advice and article after article, because you do have that true love and appreciation for words? How Um, Did satisfaction from your career change as you moved into a more of a traditional editor's role and developed more seniority?
0: You know, it's interesting though. So I've always sort of been editor slash writer and I always had a column, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, you know, a fitness column at Cosmo. I wrote many articles at Cosmo. One of the articles that I wrote at Cosmo was sort of a turning point in my happiness journey. I wrote an article for Cosmo. It was assigned to me and I was like rolling my eyes, the seven secrets of happiness, Go. Um, and I was like, this is so lame. But as I researched, recorded, edited, and wrote that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, there's something to this positive psychology crap. Um, and that's where it first sort of opened my eyes to that you can you can do happy. And if you don't do happy, you can never be happy. Be happy. Exactly. And so, you know, that was really kind of eye-opening to me. But I've always sort of been an editor and a writer um, because I do love to write so much. And, and I think there's sort of like... I always laugh people think an editor is somebody who like you know adds commas and gives- i know right there's so I, I much do more do to it yeah. like, that's not what i do <laughs> that's kind of
1: like the last thing on on the if you had to put a checklist together it's like i think the biggest thing and i'm just getting this from professors that edited all of my work so much of it was just like they're a fresh set of eyes looking at something and they'll read it and they'll be like I don't know why those first three sentences are there where they are in the story and this just doesn't make sense and it it's that person that can look at it and be like way more removed from all the research you did from all the quotes that you collected from all the interviews and and kind of dissect if you're if you're getting to the objective and simplicity too right yeah well
0: that's what I sort of do like as the editor-in-chief of Women's day really it's My biggest job is guiding the creative vision and Mm -hmm. making sure that every piece of content is sort of in line with the overall creative mission. And my job is to steer that ship. It has really nothing to do with putting comments. Right. Right. And how how do you wrap
1: your head around that? So I'm sure it's just years of being in your craft. But, you know, thinking about like, let's think about a physical magazine itself. flipping through all of those pages and you looking months and months down the line, thinking about content, you know, in February for all the way into September, December of this year, and if not beyond, um, what's kind of your creative process and in working with your teams, collaborating with the other editors to really have the confidence that every time we produce that month's issue, you could flip to any page and be like, yep, this is on brand with with what Women's Day stands for.
0: Well, I think I took over Women's Day in um, March, the beginning of the pandemic, um, and I've been making so. the magazine from home. I've never yeah. even been in the same room with my team. We've done it all virtually, and we really did reinvent the magazine. And I think that, you know, as I've said, my magazine career has always kind of mirrored my life stage, and so I made Women's Day what I thought I needed in this moment, and that was. We reinvented it as destination celebration, no holiday left behind from Taco Tuesday to Christmas. We wanted it to be a joyful escape for people where they could find fun reasons
1: to celebrate and get excited. Joyful how much story. did the experiences of COVID and how our um, you know, interaction and social environment influence that? Do you think it kind of inspired that? Or were you thinking about that? Because I'm sure you were potentially being targeted for this job well before everything kind of went down.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean it was it's so funny. It had nothing to do with COVID really. It was sort of where I was at in my life. I was finishing my book, um, which was really all about having endless energy and filling every day with yay. And so I wanted to make a magazine that was in life in line with my life mission and my current life philosophy, is that there there is yay in every day and I want to give you the tools to find it. And I want this magazine to be an extension of that. And that's exactly what we created in that life. I mean, everything is, it starts with the smile file and it is like national days, reasons to celebrate. Like, give yourself permission to get excited about National S'mores Day. Chocolate and marshmallows and graham crackers found each other and that is awesome. It is and amazing. And I want you to eat We're all
1: blessed for that. Yeah. Right? So I love that because that 100% aligns with my mission. And to take it a step further, I even said, I want to give people permission and they can finish that sentence however they want to. So give people permission to be happy, give people permission to be sad, lean into your feelings. Um, And I think that's something that people are really afraid to do and that we go through therapy, we go through this, that and the other thing to try to be happy, try to be happy. But then we kind of like forget how to just exist in our current emotions. Um, So in your experience and, and everything that's led you up to the book, tell me a little bit about you touched on your adversity as a teen. What you kind of went through, maybe even at Cosmo. And so tell me about first some of the adversity that maybe shaped those very formative years at self, as you mentioned, because it sounds like you spent a big chunk of your career there. And then more presently today between Good Housekeeping and Women's Day.
0: Sure. Well, I, and I think that no matter what age or stage of life any of us are, the basic toolkit that I sort of roll out in your fully charged life applies right? Because these are the fundamentals for living a positive, happy, healthy, energized life. It doesn't matter if you have three kids and a dog. It doesn't (laughs) matter if you're 19 and worried about college. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, these are universal tools to what scientists call flourishing. Um, So, you know, I I mean, I, I went through that adversity in my, you know, teens and 20s. And then you know, I was on a pretty good career path. I was an editor at Cosmo, senior editor at Cosmo, kicking butt. I wasn't happy. It's not like I flipped a happiness switch. I mean, I was, um, my nickname was grumpy as a kid. I was inherently negative. My negativity bias was like overwhelmingly strong. I was kind of a miserable melancholy kind of kid. Um, In my 20s, after writing that article, it sort of started to open my eyes to, to the fact that there are and there were different ways of living and different choices. And so it was a gradual process of starting to adopt some of those strategies that I had written about, and kind of beginning to plant the seeds of thinking and living differently, but it was not automatic. Okay. Um, Later, you know, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four, and died very quickly. Yeah. Um, And so that was another kind of universe bitch slapped me in the face and I got to pick up the pieces. I did not want to come out from under the covers, but I had no choice. And, you know, my dad was my guy. The book is dedicated to pop my cardinal that he was my biggest cheerleader. He is the reason for my success. He literally framed anything I ever did creative in the basement in my glass. And that gave me the confidence to realize that like I could do anything. Everything was always possible. I mean, he was a cheerleader. An incredible cheerleader and I'm so grateful to have had such a great dad um granted it sucks to lose your dad as mm-hmm. you know 66 I was 39 years old I had three young kids um and that's when I undertook Operation Good Grief and that was a daily mission to find one thing that didn't suck every day um and I would document it and share it on social media with the hashtag Operation Good Grief
1: I love and that, that. Was, and I love how simple it is too
0: super simple um, and I think that is one of the core messages in your fully charged life is the best way out of something crappy is always through. And that requires you to just do it, take an action step. And it doesn't have to be a monumental action step, but it's an action step. There's a reason like you made boatloads of money on the slogan, just do it. When you feel stuck, amen. you gotta do one thing. And that can be something small, but the best way out is through. And so Operation Good Grief was my way out. I would document things that didn't suck. And I legitimately mean things that didn't suck because I was at my lowest of lows. Like I lost my guy, you know, and I was not braced for that. Um, And it would be small things. It would be like, oh my gosh, okay. There's freaking tulips blooming in my garden. Take a picture, post it with Operation Good Grief. I just had a killer workout at SLT and I'm wearing UK deer leggings.
1: Take a photo. Love me some K deer. Great right, pattern.
0: Right, you know. Yep. And it would be small things like that, like foam on a latte that was shaped like a heart. Woo! Operation Good Grief. I literally kept that up for about two years. Wow. And I became like, the best part about it was I kind of created this community of people who had gone through similar. Who life. latched on to that. And, and it was really great because we began to cheer each other on. Um, and I had grief mentors, I could I could relate to people who had come out the other mm-hmm. side of grief and that showed me it was possible. Mm-hmm. And just this sort of exercise of what scientists would call, researchers would call prioritizing positivity, it began to negate some of the negatives and it began to make that positivity more glaring, more important, more present. Um, and it began to ease some of my stress, some of my anxiety and the good became louder. And it became really, really loud. And then eventually I didn't want to call it Operation Good Grief anymore. And I just called it Finding the Yay. And the mission became creating a yay list every day and asking people and asking my kids and asking people around me, what made you say yay today? Because if we're able to focus on the good, talk about the good, highlight the good, let the good be louder than all the bad. Well, guess what? We're all gonna be a little bit happier. Mm -hmm. Now the key to this is that this is not toxic positivity. What I say is you can't just look at the bright side. You have to look at all the sides. So you still acknowledge what sucks, right? Like I know what sucks. I I watch the news. Like I know what's bad and I acknowledge what's bad, but I acknowledge and then I'm onward. I do something. I do
1: something positive to move through it. I love that. I think that's amazing. And i it's really interesting to hear and understand your transition from the name change, because I think there's a lot of value in that. And it goes back to the importance of words and word choice, right? Um, well, and that's the thing. I'm such a writer, editor. Like, People are like that. You're just is- kind of knew like this. I'm like, no this this is the moment it has changed for mm-hmm. me. I mm-hmm. Feel it. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. I t- like I knew exactly where you were going with it as soon as you mentioned that it switched names. Um, especially having maintained it over two years, right? And and I'm curious. Um, in the time that you went through that and created Operation Good Grief and transformed it into what it is today, and then ultimately the book. In the beginning, did it feel silly? And if it did, do you remember there being like a clear point with which something changed? And there was that like sort of switch that kind of flipped.
0: What I like to say to people is I, I, life is not so neat, right? Life is pretty messy. Yeah. And I don't think there are switches that flip. Um, I wish we were all as simple as on off, right? But I don't think life is ever that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've never had an aha moment. Moment. Like Mm -hmm. I wish I were Oprah and I wish I had aha,
1: (laughs) but I don't. And I think that, do you think that's bullshit? Like, do you think that's just like something that somebody has tried to create to sell? Or do you think some people just truly have that in them?
0: You know what? I bet you there's a moment where all the hard work you've done registers, Mm -hmm. but it's not like it registered with all that hard work that without all that hard work that preceded it. Right. So there, you can probably feel like on this day, I woke up and it all clicked. Okay. Maybe like it's that moment where you just realized all of your hard work paid off. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't click and change to the Mm A list. I didn't Mm -hmm. click and become positive. I put in some time. I made some smart choices. I did some work and eventually my, the way I moved through the world changed, but it was not like, Happy girl. Oh, gosh. Get rainbow. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's not how it works. And so don't expect that for yourself because then you're going to get
1: frustrated. It's all about baby steps. It is. It is. And, you know, you even said it. You did some work. I'd argue you did a ton of work because the work goes all the way back to when you were 16. And somebody, even in that moment, I'm sure you felt forced to have to you know, face the music of your eating disorder and body image, and you probably resisted it and tried to convince everybody you didn't have a problem. And that really was a snowball for a lot of the rest of your life. And I wonder too, you know, you mentioned that you kind of had that label of being grumpy as a kid. Have you ever stopped at any point to ask yourself why you think that is or where you think that came from? Whether it was internal, um, relationships, society, your environment, do you ever think about that? Sure, and I mean, I even had like a gold grumpy necklace that I keep to this day hanging in my closet
0: to remind me <laughs> for where I It's came. your shrine. <laughs>
1: you know, it's
0: just, it's like a fun reminder of like, anyone can change and everything is always possible. Um, I think that I am a highly emotional person. Um, I feel things deeply and intensely and I didn't give myself permission as a young person to feel,
1: right? Would you consider yourself an empath? Do you take on other people's feelings as your- Oh yeah, that's why I'm a damn good actress. Mm. Like I am a damn good actress. Uh, It's a shame
0: I I am not pursuing the stage right now because like I can take on anything. Um, But I think that a piece of it was like, you know, I can remember in second grade, like hiding in the nurse's office because I was crying at school because I was afraid, like I missed my mom and this and that. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't feel, don't feel. Right. Well, I stuffed all of that. And the only way for me to numb that was by stop eating. And an eating disorder
1: for me was very much a way of quieting Okay. a lot of what was happening for me. Which makes, makes sense highly Makes sense. Person. Yeah. And it's, for a lot of people, it's, it's an emotional, you know, I had uh, Drew Manning on my podcast not too long ago from fit to fat to fit. And, um, we talked about food being a legal drug because that the control you can have around it is what people use to manipulate to calm some sort of nerve or make themselves feel better in some way. Um, and, you know, I, I, I I think it's really interesting what you said about like don't cry and telling you to push those emotions down um, because I that's exactly that coaching experience that I described to you with Kian is, is trying to focus on like shifting the conversation around mental health of, hey, let's not only identify triggers because that's important. But then instead of identifying them and having um, a professional just sit there and tell you, okay, if if this trigger comes up for you, you should do this, 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 and this activity, why don't we wait two seconds, and I talk about that trigger, by talking about the emotion that's associated with it and allow yourself to like feel that emotion internally. Scan your body, what is it doing to your body? Do you feel hot? Do you feel cold? Do you wanna shake your arms? Do you wanna like get up and run around? Do you just wanna like breathe? Like it doesn't have to be expressed verbally. Do you just wanna make like a sound? Like why use words? Um, I think that's something that's kind of missing in, in that space in general because we're so quick to like want to fix things and like find a solution, right?
0: Well I also what I think is really interesting,
1: and I, I
0: quote a lot of positive psychology and mm-hmm. psychologists in my book, but the therapy that I went through in the nineties, and I think therapy obviously is very valuable and a really good tool for so many people, but the field of psychology, um often until the late nineties, when Martin Seligman kind of, mm-hmm. you know, was the forefather of positive psychology, sure. it looked what was, it looked at what was wrong with people and how to fix what was wrong. Positive psychology started to look at people and go, Hey, what's right with people? What helps people flourish? And they really started to identify, you know, Martin Seligman's his perma theory and looked at these key mm-hmm. buckets, um, that happy people, that people who were flourishing had in common. And sort of for me, understanding that and working toward those character traits versus like trying to fix what's wrong trying to right exactly
1: and Um, even just like the perception and your perspective on that because let's take this idea of fixing what's wrong someone could argue that you have feeling a lot of emotion is a quote-unquote bad thing but if you spin that conversation I, i would argue that's actually a great thing because you can relate to people better there are so many positive things that can come out of that right
0: yeah. Well, I, so what was really understanding in the, in the field of positive psychology is what I think really gave me the tools to change my life. And if you sort of look at Martin's um, PERMA characteristics, so P is positive emotions. You have mm-hmm. positive emotions about your past, present, and future. You have love, you have gratitude, you have those things. So the E is for engagement. You are engaged in some kind of activities, not, not to a partner, but like you're engaged some kind of activity whether it's work it's family it's your church you're engaged in something the r is for relationships you have relationships with maybe it's your community maybe it's a cashier maybe it's your family but you have strong relationships the m is for meaning you find meaning in something you find meaning in your life you have purpose that is so key you can't be happy if you have no purpose and then finally the a is for accomplishment so you have some sense of accomplishment. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have a fancy car and a big fat a paycheck. It means something makes you feel accomplished. Maybe that's because you feel like you're taking care of your kids and you're a great mom, or you know you keep your houseplants alive, but you're accomplishing something. And those are really the key traits for happiness. People who are so-called flourishing um, live fully charged in those aspects. And I think when I started to think about life Hey, wait a second. If I feel like crap today, let's like, let's look at the different charges. Okay. What are my, like, what are my relationships like? I'm floundering. Do I need to call my sister? I'm floundering. Do I need to like go do a lap around Barron's drugstore and say hi to some cashiers? Like, <laughs> what is it that I need to work on meeting? Do I, am I, am I going through the motions or just do I feel like what I'm doing matters? And if it doesn't, how do I give it meaning? Right? Like your job might just be a paycheck, well then how else do you find meeting? Do you need to volunteer at a soup kitchen? Do you need to coach a little league team? What else can you do to bring meeting to your work? It's those key things. It's like we need to be able to check those boxes and to feel full battery and fully charged in those areas in order to, I keep saying flourish, but that's what we call
1: happiness. 100%. I think, you know, I, and, um, I'm totally going to butcher his last name, but, you know, impact theory with Tom and Lisa Bilieu is, I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, but he actually, I listened to one of his podcasts that was just a bunch of people submitting questions recently, and this one woman said that she's a mom of three, and she feels like she's just living for the weekend, and she wanted to know how she could kind of like jumpstart her week on Mondays because she felt like she was losing an entire day of work on Monday, just trying to like get back into the groove of things. And it was so interesting how he interpreted her question because Tom's response was, What I heard from you in saying that you live for the weekend and wanting to spend quality time with your children was that family is a value of yours. So what I think you need to ask yourself is, is your current job, what you spend Monday through Friday, nine to five doing, feeding that value? Is it feeding that value because it's putting food on the table and giving you the paycheck to then go do those activities with your kids? Sure, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe you really love children, so you should consider working at a daycare and like reframing how. How you think about that job and what its purpose is in the rest of your life, which I think is exactly what you're getting at. Exactly. You have to know what matters. And that's one of the key things to living fully charged is
0: actually asking yourself point blank, what matters to me? And then giving yourself permission once again to pursue what matters with no guilt. You have to to chase what matters and excites you. And it's different
1: for everyone. Yeah. And it's specific to you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And how do you work with your kids on a day-to-day basis? And I know you mentioned that you have them participate in what made made you say yay in your day today. How important do you think that is, um, given the ages that your children are and they're in very formative years of their life? And, you know, your daughter will be a teenager before you know it. (laughs) And that comes with so much association of probably, you know, a hard time in your life. So how do you feel now as a mom and the experiences that you've been through and just conversations with your girlfriends who are... Are also moms how do you talk about this stuff how important do you think it is to have these types of conversations around the dinner table
0: well heres I think the thing is is that they always say like happy wife happy life but yeah. it's like happy mom happy kids like that's really the most important um and I think that we all do need to put on our oxygen masks first and again giving yourself permission to put yourself first that's not selfish it's necessary 100 uh, percent And I think, but I think that's very hard as moms. And there's this hard bullshit term called mom guilt, which I don't subscribe to. Like there's, you just like, no guilt, please. That's crap. Um, But I think that like, if you think of yourself as a mom mirror, so if you take care of yourself first and that you're happy, healthy, grounded, passionate, fulfilled, feeling a sense of accomplishment, you're checking all of your fully charged boxes, then you become a really great mom mirror. Mm -hmm. Your kids Are a reflection
1: of everything. A lot of my clients, it's tapping into this inspiration, not motivation, because I think motivation is an emotion that comes and goes. um, That by showing up for yourself, you will be a better version of you that impacts everybody else around you in such a bigger way.
0: You know, I like making my kids proud. That feels really good. They make me proud all the time, and I love it when I'm able to make them proud. Um, I especially see it now with my 10 year old daughter, and it's truly magical I don't shove my fully charged principles down their throat I just live them mm-hmm. um, because it is sort of a weird thing like mom wrote a book and mom's right. fully charged <laughs> the yeah. like that's weird and she's <laughs> 10 and that's not cool but I am absolutely living this life and mirroring this to her and one of my proudest and most exciting mom moments was I found on her desk Charlie's checklist and it was all the buckets of a fully charged life it was like sleep I feel better when I sleep well. Movement, I feel better when I move my body. Um, meditation, I feel better when I calm my mind. And it was all of these things um, that I do and that I practice and that I mirror to her that she had made her own Charlie's checklist and was checking them off and living these strategies But I've never actually talked to her about. Right. It's not like you've sat down and been like, oh, no. this, yeah. Um, and I, and I, so I said, to, I said, chart, I saw your checklist on your desk. I'm like, can you walk me through it? Tell me about this. And she's like, oh mom, this, these are the things that I know make me feel good. And when I do these things and check these boxes every day, I know I'm going to have a good day. And I, 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 I was like, I'm so proud and so excited. You can't be there
1: for it? you. I think that's, it, it
0: awesome. was, it was everything because you never, when I say this to moms all the time, you never really know you're getting it right
1: you know mm-hmm. um, and this was
0: one of the signs
1: that I'm 26 right. and I just had this conversation
0: yeah. with my mom <laughs> right like you just oh, yeah. don't know it's not like pass fail it's not like you get a raise for being a mom yeah. it's not like you know you get like a high five from your 8 year old to know that like you're really getting it right and so i think that's partly the hardest part for unpaid labor of being a mom you 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 don't you don't you don't your boss isn't going to like review you you just yes. don't know and so a moment like that to validate everything I've been doing and all the struggles that we've been having, cause this has been really, really hard. Um, you know, me and my husband both suddenly working from home. I have several jobs, you know, and trying to homeschool and do virtual yeah. and fighting COVID like it's been brutal. So to know that I am getting it right. And that as long as I'm taking care of me, they're seeing that. And I'm a good mom mirror. Um, that was ultimate
1: validation. Now let's take the same context and frame to your partner. What advice do you have for people if you know they might identify someone in their life and whether that's their spouse, significant other, very close family member, otherwise, um, that may need some of the positive psychology and, and biohacks that you're talking about. And I ask this question because in my personal life, The reason why I identified that I wasn't with the right person was because I was always the source of positivity. I mean, being a fitness coach and a nutrition mentor, it just kind of comes with the job and is very easy for me because it's real for me. Like I embody that every single day. But I had quit what I thought was my dream job at the end of 2019 and kind of felt lost and fell apart. And he had been through prior experience where I filled that like, hey, I'm going to hype you up. I'm going to build you up role. And then he couldn't do it in return when I really needed it. And and it was meant to happen. It sucked. Like it was horrible. Um, but I needed to go through that to kind of realize like, first of all, no one's going to save you. You got to find it within yourself. But more importantly, how have you seen, you know, how, what kind of conversations you have with your husband? How have you seen some of your... Um, research and outlook on life kind of like rub off on him? Or do you think law of attraction, you attracted each other because that's the type of person you needed in your life too, to kind of match your energy and where you are? Um,
0: I got lucky in love. I married my brother's best friend. I'm four years older than him. So growing up, I mean, I've known him since second grade, but growing up, I was like, ew. I'm a senior year freshman, ew, like, we even went to the same college, but I was always like, ew, you're four years younger, that's How so did up.
1: you guys, can like, did you just, were you always stayed friends, like, because of the connection with your brother, like, he's did literally you reconnect like later in my life? my brother's best friend, so he's okay. always a part of my. Around, family. yeah.
0: He was at my sister's wedding, I sat him with my best friend at the time, and was like, you guys should hook up, like, I would try <laughs> to get his ex-girlfriend's jobs, like, Manoa was like, oh, that Pat Murphy's such a good guy, you should definitely hook up with him. Um, but never was always like, not for me because that it's like that weird age bias you have oh, when you're younger. Totally, like, totally. you Totally. Know, totally. Like I'm not going to sleep with one of my brother's best friends, gross thing I've ever um, <laughs> Ultimately we were both like living in Hoboken single and my brother would have us over for dinner and like we were reading the same book. We had a lot in common. We both like salt on our food. And I'm like, this man's not going to do it. We food. both like salt on <laughs> our food.
1: <laughs> He's checking all these boxes. Ew, yeah. run away. Because he checks so many boxes, you're like, oh, I got to run further, right?
0: And eventually, <laughs> like, we were, we just made out when We were all out in Holoken. And like, I mean, I think I put my hand on his thigh and just started kissing him because I was like a Cosmo girl at the time. And I was fun and fearless. Um, and then it was just like, you know, I mean, I'm very. We've been together 15 years now, um, and he is my balance. So, you know, it's he's like. I mean, I dated such douchebags that would like with a would. I, it's just hard to explain. Like, it's finally easy, and I understand that that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um, and I do think I rub off on him. We have very opposite personalities. I'm big and loud and extroverted and extra in all the ways. I'm extra as fuck. <laughs> and he was not. Um, but we had this funny experience and I, I can call it a funny experience a couple like a week or two ago my one son was projectile vomiting at 2 a.m um, <laughs> and I had just gotten a new rug in my bedroom so oh, I basically God. dove on the vomit like a human shield to save the rug I'm covered in vomit in my pajamas it's in my pocket it's in my hair I'm covered in vomit my husband gets out of bed too I have take off my pajamas throw them in the garbage so I'm naked cleaning up vomit like in the floorboards it's everywhere like my son has projectile vomit it permeated
1: through. into every surface it, it was yeah.
0: everywhere my husband was like literally cleaning out of the cracks with like a credit card it was insane but through this process my husband looks at me and he goes well the bathroom did need a deep clean anyway and i was <laughs> like oh my gosh you were fully charged you have absolutely just I've worn off on you. You have yeah, just—you're like in one breath. You're
1: like you motherfucker, but then you're also like that's exi- that's it. I'm like you made a joke <laughs> in, in light of you this. You the grain of good in yeah. a really bad situation, and I think that that's how we live
0: here at Team Murphy headquarters. Like we we live life with a fun filter, and we're not a fine, afraid to find the day or to find the joy. um And I think that's really important. And I also think one of the things that we really tend to do with our spouses in particularly is forget to appreciate them and forget to show them the same gratitude you would show a friend. So like a friend brings you chicken soup at your doorstep and you write them a thank you note, right? Your husband cooks you dinner and he's lucky if you look up and say, thank you, it was delicious. And I think that we tend to do that and just pausing to show appreciation can really be transformative in your relationship. And I don't just mean like a bullshit thank you, but like, right. thank you because, really least sort of adding what I call gravy to your gratitude and showing like how that action helped you or why that impacted your day. Thank you for making dinner. It allowed me to finish my Zoom call. I feel so much less stressed now that I got
1: that meaning out of the way, right? Like adding gravy to your gratitude, mm-hmm. really kind of- Being more specific. Being specific. Using your words, right? how have you learned to do that has it been through because you know tying back to your theme of adversity did you go through experiences where you had to kind of sit back and say that argument that we had, maybe it was more so because I was trying to get him to just read my mind because I do think it's kind of going down that path, right? I've had a lot of friends and conversations with people recently about like masculine and feminine energies and how, uh, women have kind of like taken on this idea that they have to operate from a place of masculinity to be independent, take care of themselves, whatever, kind of like the whole idea of, Hey, don't cry. Um, but in, tandem with that we've also we've tapped so far away from our feminine selves that we've also put this like crazy expectation on men to just like know what we need them to do without saying it which is is kind of un it, it not kind of it, it it's unfair it, it, it really is like yeah. if you're not getting what you want but then you don't tell them and you just pout well sorry you're gonna keep getting what you got
0: yeah I think so an operating principle in my house is I think thinking of your family as a team so instead of thinking of like gender roles or masculine versus feminine roles, I like to think of it as who best plays the role on the team. Like, okay, well, if like, who's the pitcher, who's the catcher, who's the third base, who's good at what? My husband is a really good cook and he actually enjoys cooking. So he does all of the cooking. I, you know, really good at cleaning. I was an editor at good housekeeping. I enjoy straightening, organizing, cleaning. So I do most of the cleaning. Um, my husband is the tip. God. Like he's the one that makes sure the iPads work. What are you good at? Like how do you play to your strengths? How does the team function best? Like who are you putting into the game? If we sort of look at it that way, like who's good at what? Like let's just like objectively look at what we're good at, what we enjoy doing, what helps us thrive. And then okay, perhaps what's what do we both suck at and hate and just needs to get done? And how do we divide and conquer that? So we can get through together. Exactly. I think that's right. I call my family Team Murphy. And I think we really do function as a team. It's about everybody pitching in and playing to their strengths. um, And it works. It just works.
1: I love that. I think that's a great message. And, you know, I think that's something that you can then, that's a great kind of mom mirror moment too, because I'm sure you can observe that now as your kids are getting older and how they interact with each other, splitting up responsibilities around the house amid nobody, no child is perfect. They can fight and it's okay. It's part of life, right? And they will fight. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. So just let it roll, right? It happens a lot when you record mm-hmm. what you Oh, did. I'm sure. I'm sure. So to move in- in a little direction before we wrap all of it up. Um, let's talk more about the business of writing a book. What has the experience been like for you in comparison to writing articles and and how did you kind of approach tackling something that could have felt pretty big one because it was so important to you but two just for length like this is way a way different process and talk to me about how you broke it up how you approached it what editing was like for you reading such a long body of work did you kind of truncate that out what what did you do and what do you think worked for you and if you do plan to write a second book what will you what will you carry with you so i think first of
0: all the impetus of the book was
1: and I, I think everyone should ask themselves this. Like, what do
0: people come to you for? Mm-hmm. Like, what do people ask of you? And for me, people are always like, I want to bottle your energy. I want to bottle your positive energy. And so this book was my answer to that. That's why I knew that's I could. That's a really cool to
1: question to ask yourself. Never thought ask about that.
0: that. What do people come to you for? That's your secret sauce. Mm-hmm. And that's your gift to the world. And so when you're able to answer that truthfully, you know what you need to do. So start that's it with awesome. that. That's, that's, awesome. how I knew, that's how I knew that this was my calling. Okay. Uh, and I'm lucky because I've been in the media for 25 years. So I was able to ask friends who have had books, step one. And I met with a bunch of different agents. And again, mm-hmm. I was really lucky to be able to have access to literary agents because sure. I'm, I'm connected in the media. Right. You know, I've been an editor for 20 plus years. So I met with a bunch of different agents. Um, and I really connected with my agent, Laura Nolan at Avitas Creative Management. Um, we cried over coffee. She's, she didn't get me, which was amazing. And I had this challenge of writing her a couple of essays to show her what I wanted to do and what I was all about. Um, and I did that and she's like, wow, you can write, you've got something to say. She's like, and it's weird, but that one essay really stuck with me. And so she signed me. So I signed with an agent, step one. Um, and step two was writing a proposal. So I wrote a treatment for the book. It was a 70 page treatment. It outlined exactly what the chapters would be. And then um, for me, it was a media plan. And that really, I had some famous friends write endorsements for me. I'm lucky enough to call Jillian Michaels a friend. She wrote an endorsement for me. Um, you know, editor in chief of Shape Magazine. I you know, a, a, Maria Menounos, like I called on some friends I've been connected with through the media to endorse me. Um, which basically is, it tells publishers, like she's legit, she's real. Like this could be something. Um, and then I had a marketing proposal. This is what I'm going to do to help support the book. Um, these are the TV shows I'm going to go on. This is what I'm going to do. And once I got that right, and it took a year, I went back and forth with my agent for an entire year perfecting what was going to be this proposal for a book treatment. Because once you do that, then it, she shops it to publishing houses. And so over the course of a two-week period, she shopped it to publishing houses you know, everyone from Penguin Random House to, you know, um, you know, name any publisher. It went out to every publisher. And then if you're lucky enough to get meetings, you take meetings. I was lucky enough to get about seven or eight meetings. Um, and I went to all these different publishers. This was obviously pre-COVID and sat down with them and pitched the book and told them why I think it would be a success. And the meeting at Penguin Random House was like, I was beside myself. Like I saw, you know, Michelle Obama's book on the wall and i was shaking and I was like, I left and I was such a geek. And I'm like, <laughs> I just wanted you to know, like, this would be a dream come true. I really want you to have my book. I would love to work with you. And like, we get down to the lobby and my agent who I'm obsessed with, was like, yeah, not cool, Meg. Like that was hands <laughs> and I was like,
1: I know, I absolutely know. But uh, you were being real and raw, right? It was just real that handball. was the yay in that day, just getting was, to be there, right? Even if it didn't work out, exactly. Like I'm sitting in Penguin mouse and they're and I'm and I'm pitching them my book. It was amazing.
0: So then, at the end of that two week period, the book goes to auction, and it was like a Tuesday at eleven a.m. And my agent was going to get the offers. And I'm at work at Good Housekeeping and I'm like, my phone's in my pocket. I'm in a meeting and I like, my phone is ringing and I can't pick it up and I'm dying because it's that moment. It's like, you either got a book deal or you didn't, you've got multiple offers, you've got none. And, you know, I remember leaving for work that day, telling my kids and my husband, like, Hey, listen, mommy worked so hard. I did everything I could. If it doesn't happen, it didn't happen. And it's okay. I'm proud of what I've done so far. Um, and luckily I got several offers, which was a dream come true. Penguin Random House was the offer I took, um, dream come true. And then started the process of writing it. I had a year to finish. It was due this past April. I turned it in at 90,000 words. Um, and my editor was, you know, basically like, you know, I've done this for a long time. So Mm -hmm. to be honest, it was in pretty good shape basically the biggest mandate was trimming 20,000 words and moving a few sections around. Um, and that's sort of the funny part of it. Now that I finally got the real book in my hands yesterday for the first time, I'm like, I can't wait to reread
1: it. I'm like, because you kind of have this moment of like, did that, is that anecdote still in there? Yeah, because it's like, like I said, it's this huge body of work that you're like, I don't really remember what I, it's not like you're gonna remember what you wrote on which page and then what what made it, what didn't after all those, that back and forth. Thing right? I'm like,
0: I literally have having a moment of like, is that story still in there? Like you just don't from because mm-hmm. it's been a three-year process, right. probably all in. Um, but holding the book in my hands for the first time yesterday was truly, literally one of the most exciting, magical. So cool! It was surreal. Um, and I'm and I'm proud and I'm excited and I hope that people really um are helped by this. I mean, that's the goal.
1: I love that, and you know, my question is because you mentioned that. You said to your kids on that day when you were awaiting the news that if it didn't, if you didn't get the offers that you were hoping for, it's okay because you're still really proud of yourself. Fast forwarding into 2021 and playing a little of like a game of what if, Um, let's say you didn't have the media career that you've had and you did not have the opportunity to get access even to, you know, let's go as far back in the process to just endorsements and and the everything you went through. Would you have self-published and would you have written the book anyway?
0: Um, I don't think it would have been feasible. Um, And that's simply because um the advance was very helpful. The advance enabled me to, to get help with some of the research. It enabled me to be able to do my magazine job and to moonlight at 4 a.m. getting this done, writing, editing. I was able to have, you know, a collaborator help with all of the research, which I wouldn't Sure. You know, it, it enabled me to be able to do the photo shoots or the picture. Right, exactly. from time look,
1: like, it wouldn't have been to the caliber that you wanted to. And it sounds like with the type I'm making a huge assumption, but I've talked to you now long enough that I think I'm correct. It wouldn't have possibly been at the level of maybe professionalism and completeness that you would, what would have wanted it to be. Right.
0: And it would have, t-
1: it would have
0: taken a lot longer. Exactly. It yeah. would have taken a lot longer. Um, you know, I mean, like, and it also just felt more real to me, to be honest. It felt more real.
1: Um, it felt important. Um, yeah. And especially given, even if, let's say you didn't have the career trajectory that you did, but you still had any sort of media job and for any amount of time i do think it's like you've had the experience of like what's behind the fold like what what actually went into building this magazine building in this newspaper putting a book together um that it's just like you can't separate that from you know, your I mean, at
0: I, it, right yeah like i'm a pro i'm you know i'm a career writer editor right. journalist. like i wanted to do this right the right like, way. i wanted to do it big Mm-hmm. And I am a person who goes big or goes home. Like yeah. I go big. That's why, exactly why
1: I said what I said.
0: Yeah, and and, I, and it's like have I have no shame in that. Like I am big. Um, and this had to be big. Like I w- I was ready for it to
1: be big. Do you think you'll write a second
0: book? Yeah, I mean, I already have like a bazillion ideas. Ideas, I'd yeah. To do fully charged kids, the fully charged workout, the fully charged diet. I'd love to do a yoga yeah, yeah day calendar. I mean, I have like. Endless ideas. First, this comes out on the twenty third. Um, hopefully, it's a big hit, and, and people
1: find um, really useful tools and tricks in it, and um, and want more. Well, absolutely. I'm very excited for you, and I've like I said in my Instagram stories before this, I did get a sneak peek of the book, and I've already yes. started reading. So I, I'm pumped, and um, I can't wait to get through more of it and just see how people respond to it too. I think that's really the probably going to be the coolest part of the experience for you, right? Oh yes, it's that's
0: that's what I like. I've had some early readers, and I've had some really good feedback from some of um, some of my fun friends like Joe London and Paula Ferris and. Karina from Tongue It Up, who really had nice things to say about it. But I just can't wait for like the every reader to share which tips stuck and what worked and what helped. That's going to be so magical to me. I mean, it's the same as if someone makes a recipe in Woman's Day or tries to yeah. mix three. Like I find
1: such joy in being able to, to share information and news people can use. I love it. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, I think if you write the fitness one, then we're going to have to have you back on the show because I can think literally like of a slew of questions. We could do a whole other episode just on your relationship with exercise and fitness between your, um, you know, trauma of an eating disorder, plus being a mom and how you fit it into your day. But we'll save that for another. Well, and part. the health charge, the, the health charge chapter of the book really does talk. very Perfect. Much
0: about I'm going to pay particular
1: attention to that one for yeah. sure. No, I think it's I and I love how you um have it kind of broken down into those types of sections because I think it can really show people two things that kind of compete with each other. One that this permeates into every single area of your life but two maybe you start small and maybe it's too overwhelming for you to be like i gotta like find everything that's so joyful to be positive about maybe you already really enjoy fitness so why not start there and like make the health charge like your top priority for whatever amount of time and then build upon that gradually absolutely that's
0: it is it is how you do one thing is how you do all things Mm -hmm. you can dive in
1: anywhere and it will have this ripple effect of goodness hundred percent. I totally agree with that. I love that. It's just like they say that smiling is contagious. That goes in tandem with happiness being contagious. So Megan, you're awesome. I've loved getting to chat with you today. I end every show the same exact way as well. And we do a quick lightning round. So okay. I think I'm going to try to keep it like a little more localized, which will be more fun for me and you versus, and I have a lot of Westfield listeners, but I think that'll be like a cool spin on it. I never think of these in advance. It's just kind of like whatever comes up in the conversation, yeah. but we didn't talk a lot about Westfield. So I, I think we owe a little yeah. homage to it. Right.
0: Okay. Do you know so- that I
1: run the best field- Instagram I do know that so I think this could be the perfect um, little segue into that so if anybody wants to check out the best field Instagram Megan is the uh thumbs behind it and the picture snapper behind it um I wish I had that when I was growing up here like that didn't exist Instagram wasn't really a thing but you know so you're, the town some, doesn't
0: like the name but I I just think of it as like a, a love letter so well,
1: you know what I like it because when you if you grew up here and like you know Everybody knows that phrase, like Westfield, Bestfield. So whatever. The, the town can have lots of opinions on lots they of certainly things. certainly do me. Go, right? <laughs> All right. I need 75 more seconds of your time. You ready? Good. Go. Okay. What is your favorite restaurant in Westfield?
0: It's a tie. Okay. Well, it's like a triple tie. Right, I love here. the money because I'm I'm very tight with the owners. And I think George and this Dallas, I can never say the name because she's so great. But um, they just treat you like family.
1: Their, um, their food is delicious. Like their food is so good. Ta- like you can get take fish takeout is so hard. And I've actually never eaten in their restaurant even before COVID. Like my parents used to just order from there a lot. It's amazing.
0: Their shrimp and they make like a shrimp and fava bean thing for me specifically because I'm. Mm. Like,
1: um And I love their um, tartu
0: like they have this like tartufo dessert thing that I'll like order. It's like a mango passion bomb. So obsessed with them. And I love what's BYO when we get to eat in restaurants again because it makes it horrible. Um I love Four Arrows because they're gluten-free menu on celiac. Their gluten-free menu is pretty awesome. Like, I can get... I didn't know that about nuts. them. I can get, Lots like, something new. farm. Like, you right. can you get anything I want there. Um, and
1: let me think. Those are those are my, Your like... top two. Two go-to restaurants. What is... We can expand this. We'll say New Jersey. We'll say New Jersey slash New York because obviously you spent much time in New York. Favorite workout, like oh. studio class, whatever instructor. If you're feeling crazy, I would
0: say. So I can't, like naming a favorite workout. It's like naming a favorite child. So I have to name them all. I'm obsessed with S L T in Shore Hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just changes my body after having three kids. That gave me my abs
1: back. It showed. Well, me I love hearing that because my I'm coming up with my unique fitness programming for my concept and i am getting my pilates certification so we're planning on having some fusion of that in there that's
0: amazing mat based uh, pilates never really works for me because i have a hard time activating
1: my core what i love about I, it's got to be the reformer it's the reformer for me
0: it, it, you can't cheat and it just i love yeah. it it changes my body so slt um i like orange theory because orange is my favorite color and it's effective it's super close i haven't been there in ages though and i've actually started myself. going
1: there recently I'm like one. not
0: back in the gym yet. I got COVID anyway. So, yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, I love Alpha Fit Club. I love Sam Tooley. I love the energy and the community of Alpha Fit Club. I love Home Power Yoga. I haven't done yoga in a while because I can't do it virtually. I just can't focus. But, like, the energy of Home Power Yoga and Cranford. Yeah, they're right in Cranford, beautiful. right around the corner from me. Katie and Elizabeth are like two of my favorite people. I love Home Power Yoga. I just, and I started running again through COVID. And that has been, I used to be a marathoner and I just stopped running and, and I, um, I, I loved running again. So those are, those are, I think my tops. And then Chelsea Palladino does the zoom kind of bar, fire beat bar ish kind of oh. dance workout. She's now pregnant, so she's not doing as many, but like that has been a saving grace through the pandemic for me.
1: That sounds really fun. Yeah. Okay. I love exercise. I've been a certified for 17 years. Um, and it's my medicine. Do you have a favorite um, brand of like leggings, workout gear? We mentioned K-Deer and we'll give a shout to a New Jersey brand, which is cool. Um, I love Fit Mama. I'm
0: friends with the creator of Fit Mama and she just makes such fun, crazy prints. I even have like my own personalized third eye leggings that say Megan on the butt. Oh, that's amazing. So that makes me really happy. I I think we need to get you some.
1: Did anyone give you any ones with lightning
0: bolts on them yet? i'm talking to k deer about maybe making a fully charged legging you should do I, that i love athletic because we have our store right here in westville yeah, it's a great
1: job too um
0: and you know i, I
1: love oh God, you know i love workout gear i think it's, it's have you like checked wonderful. out you know what you would like if you really love patterns have you checked out liquido
0: yes i used to have i used to have a ton of their stuff i haven't had anything in a while um but yeah i used to have a lot of their stuff i mm, like something that's fun. like bright colorful
1: cheering mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I dress up to be up. There you go. I mean, look at you sitting there with your pink glasses. We got it going on and the lightning bolts. Okay. Very last question. Two-parter. What is your shameless plug and where can we find you on social media, which we will link all of this down in the show notes.
0: Uh, my shameless plug would be to maybe give your fully charged life a read. It's a radically simple approach to having endless energy and finding in every day. It's for sale wherever books are sold. And if you do buy it and you do like it, consider giving it a review and some stars on Amazon or wherever you bought it. Um, Those reviews really help authors. Um, And I don't know if people really know the ins and outs of book selling, but like that really matters. Um, It really matters for sales, it really matters for authors. So it's like high-fiving the author every time you leave a comment
1: love it well thank you so much for your time i've so enjoyed speaking to you and when we can get back to normalcy i think we should make a plan to hit a workout oh my gosh we're gonna go to oh my gosh we'll do like a fit tour yeah wouldn't that be so fun as you were listing all the places i was like we should i'm thinking like big and i'm like let's start an instagram account of all the places that we can go work out in in like the surrounding six towns it would take us a while to get through everything oh and 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 i've probably been to every single one i'm sure you have am that person (laughs) i love it i love it i think it's i think it's just such a cool way to meet people um and just like pick up different vibes from different studios different instructors it's a lot of fun and 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 to me that's why i don't think the fitness industry of the experiential boutique fitness is going to go anywhere because there's just something that you can't mimic with that we can try our hardest
0: i do have my peloton and kendall tool has gotten me through a lot of this i had never ridden it until the pandemic and now I just
1: virtually high-five people. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta do it somehow, right? Gotta keep connected, for sure. Well, hope you feel better, but thank Mm -hmm. you so much and best of luck with your recording this weekend. Let me know how it goes and we can't wait to check you out. This has been our latest episode of The Fix if you guys, just like Megan said about leaving reviews for books, please, if you got any value from this message, I think she would certainly attest to and add to her shameless plug. It's about spreading the message of positivity and happiness. And you can do that by sharing the show and this episode with other people. So as you know, we are available on Apple and Spotify at The Fix with Krista Huber. Also on Instagram, I do have a separate Instagram account just for my podcast called The Pod. So if you loved this episode, leave a review, drop Drop a comment. Tell me what you enjoyed about it. Um, Give Megan a little virtual high five for her book. And we look forward to seeing you guys soon. Have an awesome rest of your day.